When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is a crowd podcast. Oh, I think DeGale by knockout. We didn't know if he was alive or dead. The line was, I would have beaten his dad as well. Open mic night. Blood has splattered onto my notes at ringside. Fighting each other for breakfast in the morning. What do you pick up from that position with your ears? Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Deck. How are you? Do you want me to say I'm fine or do you want the actual answer? I want the actual answer. I've had better mornings. Enlighten me. I got a line bike. You know what a line bike is? No, tell me what a line bike line is. Line bike is it's, uh, it's an app. You book a bike. You've probably seen them about. You can jump on them whenever you want and then you cycle wherever you want and you just leave them. So you don't got to worry about locking them up and then someone else comes and takes it. This line bike broke down. I say break down. It's got like a battery on it so it's got what they call a pedal assist. Ran out of battery halfway to Soho, <laughs> so I'm scrabbling around somewhere. I don't even know where I was, trying to find another line bike. You, you wasn't Junction 9 of the M4 Nightmare. coming from Swindon. No, I you? wasn't coming from Swindon, luckily, but car, telling you. I, and I'm, I'm a big advocate of line bikes, but that was difficult to take. And then to add insult to injury, I didn't get today's Wordle. Only the second time in my life. I'm one of the few people still playing it. For a man who works with words, you look so disappointed <laughs> by your own game. Well, that's the problem. I got, I got it wrong. You get, it's one a day. I found it's good for your brain, but when you get it wrong, like I did, on a day when your line bike breaks down halfway to your destination, it's a tough morning. Are you playing Wordle while cycling on the line bike? <laughs> that was part of the problem. There's a TV show on ITV now at the moment, which is that, isn't it? But is it's, it? Called, it's not called Wordle. It feels like this guy has pitched this idea to ITV <laughs> and he said, but I've got to write the theme tune, sing the theme tune, present it's it. It's like your pod. I don't think he's an actual presenter, but now he is a presenter. Yeah. What we do is it will say a five-letter word and you will go bingo. And then it, if you've got a B in there, it will flash up B mate, yellow. But word- if the B is in the right place, it's then green. it goes green. This is Wordle. Lingo, I can't, mate. I can't. They ba- they say bad luck comes in three. I've had my line bike, I've had my Wordle. I can't start playing lingo as well and getting a hat trick in a day. You can watch it on RTV. Someone else, you can watch someone else play it. In answer to a question, anyway, uh, yeah, mate, I'm not too bad. How are you? 
I'm great, man. I'm great. My legs are in better shape than yours. Sounds like you've been line biking it. <laughs> Quads can barely fit I get in one as well. I, uh, yeah. Not the same one. No. I'm on with juice. I mean, I'm sure there is some sort of battery status flashing no, there is. part to it. Why would you keep picking these well, ones because that are going to run out? I, I don't think we've got time to go into it, but basically I think there's a little bloke who goes around at night and charges them up. That's it. And he doesn't charge your one up. Well, you get there and if there's one within five miles, you just got to get on it. And then you think, oh, I'll be all right. But then halfway down Theobald's Road or whatever, it starts conking out and you've got a big bike with no gear. Get a real bike. <laughs> You're right, Dick. We don't have time for your line bike. Disasters. Let's get our guest in. Let's get him in. Right. This episode is all about the chaos of ringside. Our guest has to be the guy who has got the best seat in the house. Uh, he's the lead commentator for The Zone. Before that, he's had 44 years at the BBC. Mike Costello is here. Hello, Mike. How you doing? Great to be with you, fellas. 44 years at the BBC. How old does that make you then? 62. <laughs> no, but the BBC... It's like dog years at the BBC. They fly by. Yeah, I joined at 16. I've said before, if you told that kid who was 16, getting on a number 53 bus from the Old Kent Road up to not far from where we're recording this, that, you know, he'd go on and do what he did. He just would never have believed it. You know, at that stage, I was at 16 and I was I was still boxing. Um, and this was 1976. I genuinely thought I might be going to the Olympics in Moscow in 1980. That's the dreams I had as a kid. And my first job at the BBC was in an accounts department, which meant I was sat down all day. And the sports science then was that you needed to rest ahead of training. So that suited me. I was more happy about getting a job where I was sat down all day than this great move of working for the BBC. So the dream back then, was it to be commentating on the fights after you finished, you know, performing in the fights it wasn't anywhere near my imagination the lucky breaks i've had along the way you couldn't count and the number of people have helped me along the way again you couldn't count but it's been a great ride so all those years at the bbc and then the last what couple of years at the zone how many years in total have you been sort of ringside at boxing Working regularly and close up at ringside in the way that we're going to talk about today since the late 1990s. I've always said that the greatest sports writer in this country, in my mind, is Hugh McIlvanny, worked for the Sunday Times and before that for The Observer. And he used to say, and this is a man who covered test cricket, Wimbledon finals, World Cup football, covered absolutely everything. But he used to say the hardest place to work, but the most exciting place to work is at ringside. And he kind of is in a very good position to measure what it's like at ringside compared to being elsewhere around the world. And I, look, I've covered a lot of top class athletics. I've, I've done eight Olympic Games. But there is something about being as close to the fighters as I am to you. We're no more than a yard apart. Likewise, George, we're no more than a yard apart here. That's how close you get at ringside. Think of any other sport, any other sports commentator. Because of the, the shape, the configuration of the playing field, when I cover athletics, at some stage I might be 60, 70 metres away from where Mo Farah is on the track. Likewise, when you're covering football, you might be way up in the top tier of the stands. At ringside, you can reach out and tap the canvas. And, and I've had examples where you know blood has splattered onto my notes at ringside there is no sport where you can live the sport like you do at ringside can you remember who it was and then when the blood splats on your notes you're like oh i knew i shouldn't have left my notes there today. <laughs> <laughs> 
the first time I remember it vividly was, and it's happened a number of times, but it was on a show in Manchester at the Manchester City Stadium. It's I can't Ricky, remember what Ricky it was Hatton called. Ricky Hatton in his early days, he was a bleeder. <laughs> it, was, well, it was Ricky Hatton, but it was before Hatton's fight on the bill. It was Paulie Malinagi against Love More and Do. And it was on the night when they were building towards Hatton against Malinagi next time out. Hatton beat a guy called Juan Lascano. It was his kind of comeback from the defeat against Floyd Mayweather the previous Christmas. And we were right by Paulie Malinagi's corner. You know, we were getting everything from those fights on that night. And that was the night when you remember Malinagi had the kind of braids in his hair and, <laughs> and his trainer had to, had to cut his hair during the fight. So maybe you don't quite realize this, but the first thing we see is the boxer's legs. So we quite often see when a boxer's hurt because it's the legs that stiffen, first of all. Quite often, it's the legs that go. And we see that tremor. As the Britain press were a couple of rows back, or a few rows back compared to you, but everyone has a good perspective on footwork. When you see someone like Floyd Mayweather up close or like Andre Ward, you can notice that they're just a different breed and it often is in the feet. A prime example of where I saw that, and, and it might be the most dramatic night I've had at ringside. If it's not, it's really close to it. It was the night that Carl Froch was making the first defence of his world super middleweight title. He'd won it at the previous Christmas against Jean Pascal and he was defending it in the States against... Jermaine Taylor and it was in one of these reservations an outpost a mash and tuck it near near Boston we flew into Boston and going into the 12th and final round Carl was behind on two of the judges scorecards by a long long way I think it was four rounds on two of the, the judges scorecards so he had to knock Taylor out to win and Taylor was tiring and he wins the fight with 14 seconds to go Jermaine Taylor was stopped on the ropes literally right above us so we saw those legs I mean he didn't actually fall but he kind of bent over double and the referee stopped it with 14 seconds to go. And that was just the most dramatic piece of sport that you could possibly witness. Mm. George, what do you feel at ringside when you're doing commentary now? Because Mike alluded to it there that it's this unbelievable buzz when you're covering a fight, but that's for the layman. What's it like for you comparing it to what it was like when you were in there? Do you feel the energy and the buzz when you're in a working capacity? If it's a fighter that I'm emotionally invested in a little bit, say that might be a friend or even maybe like a guy at my weight or a former opponent, then the buzz is a little bit more. Sometimes when it's just a big fight and it's a big name, you know, there's going to be the ramifications that go out, you know, across the boxing sort of public or, the, you know, the way the boxing is going to work. So if it's, if it's a big heavyweight fight and it's Anthony Joshua and Anthony Joshua gets beat, you know that, okay, there's going to be a lot of ramifications that go through the divisions now because content's going to change, you know, broadcast's going to change. So that's a little bit exciting. But also there's that nerves of, uh, this is something new to me, this, you know, I... I'm still trying to learn to be good at it. Mike's job is to call the action as he sees it. And then if I see a cut and then you try and give him a nudge, like Mike never missed nothing, but some, <laughs> some commentators do. You go, oh, look, he's, he's, his legs are gone or this has happened or that's happened. You don't want to give anything controversial, but if there is something that you think people haven't seen, it's that's quite exciting. You're like, well, I, th I think he's tiring. Like, really he's mild heads on points and like no nah, no nah, I, I think he I think Red Corner's tiring and then he comes out and he does gas out in the next round like, oh. <laughs> shrug his shoulders like well what do I know, you know? <laughs> what's really important to me you know going back to all I've been saying about the rush of adrenaline at ringside only you have had to deal with that and cope with that and I remember something just moving off at a tangent I remember talking to you at Wembley Stadium at the press conference before the rematch against Carl Froch and after the press conference, all of the BBC and radio and TV crews were taken outside into the stands to do the interviews. And I sat down with you and I said to you, your first question was, George, look at this as we look out onto the pitch. The ring will be there tomorrow. And 
what a great atmosphere, what an occasion this is. And, and, and I can't believe we're here and how great this is. And, and you just kind of looked at me and said, yeah, it's all right for you, Mike. I've, I've got to go and fight. <laughs> and, but, and, and, but you said that, I mean, you know, you, you weren't having to dig at me. You were just saying that, that that was your position and this was mine. You know, I was getting ready for this great festival. So it was to me. But for you, you know, it was a very, very different feeling at that time. It was, it was game face time. And, you know, that was 2014. I was very experienced by then and yet still learning a lesson from people like you about the different attitudes and, and, and the different ways that you're looking at an, uh, an event like that. And it's also key, I think, to hold on to the faith in what you believe in. Now, whether that's the scoring of the fight or the pattern of the fight or what one is doing right and the other is doing wrong, holding on to the faith is sometimes difficult, especially in this age of social media where we get fed during commentaries now what the general public are saying about fights and scores and I'll give you a, a recent example behind closed doors when Alexander Usyk fought Derek Chisora and David Hay was screaming at ringside and Tony Bellew was screaming at ringside oh yes Derek oh yes Derek oh you're flying Derek and Eddie Hearn was tweeting how well Chisora is doing and we had it by a landslide I was commentating with Steve Bunce we're getting drip fed the fact that Others aren't seeing it as closely as you. So what, what do, do you believe in yourself? Do you back yourself? Do you keep the faith? Whether that's a commentator, a co-commentator, ex-world champion, whatever. It's sometimes difficult when you're getting this flood of information that suggests you've got it wrong, but you know what you're watching. So do you hold on to that? Or do you weaken and do you back off and say, well, you know. That's the thing that maybe will always um, push boxing forward is just it's a pure opinion sport yeah I've asked Robert Smith from the boxing board of control like how'd you score a round and he gave me like loads of variables I was like okay I didn't want to start on poor Robert but I said okay can you rank them for me because is it, is it power punches that is the most important thing or is it quantity of punches is it making someone miss is it what 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 is it if you can underline why you've scored it that way and then then there's at least a debate to be had you know i i have an issue there are many people who do with the stats that you get whether it's CompuBox or, or any other company that post these stats at ringside the power punches the body punches that i'm one of those who who, who doesn't pay much attention to those kinds of figures because I can't see how they can be necessarily accurate. Yeah. And also, that doesn't then allow for any reward for guile or, or for defensive work. And the best I've commentated on at ringside is Floyd Mayweather. And a lot of what he does doesn't figure on CompuBox. If you take the fight against Canelo Alvarez, you can tell me all you like that Canelo was young and was inexperienced. But towards the end of the fight, you watch Alvarez and, it, and he's almost hesitating, almost like the golfing yips. He's, he's just hesitating about throwing punches because he knows he's going to miss. Now, that's what Mayweather's done in those previous rounds to get him to feel like that. But that doesn't appear on any stats list. So take us around the ring, right? Who sits where, would you say, around the ring, just for the people listening? Are? So invariably... We're on one side of the ring, usually closest to the stairs where the boxers enter the ring. There's almost always a judge on the same side of the ring as the commentary team. And so there'll be a judge on each of three sides of the ring. One side of the ring normally, in terms of the ringside seating, is the promoters, promoters' guests. And that side of the ring, generally speaking, is clear of any officials. There will be one side of the ring which is usually full of, in this country, British Boxing Board of Control officials, whether that's the timekeepers, 
Robert Smith as the, the Board of Control General Secretary, just making sure that everything is in place on the night, whether that's the crews of paramedics, and we shouldn't forget how important they are, that there are two crews of paramedics at every show, one's at ringside, one waiting by the dressing room. I've been at ringside on occasions when one of those crews has had to go to hospital, and so the show has had to wait until the crew gets back. And these are all measures that have been put in place because of previous tragedies. But that's the kind of personnel setup at ringside. And then just away from that, you've got some of the, the technical staff, whether that's the cameraman, the security personnel. So just to give you a picture of, of how ringside looks as the boxers are making their way to the ring they'll come down the ramp and in front of them and occasionally you will see this on the television pictures there'll be the cameraman who's being led into the ring by his guide so the guide might literally be holding the cameraman's belt on his trousers just guiding him because that cameraman is walking backwards filming the boxer coming to the ring and so as they come around towards the ringside area you'll have two security personnel creating an aisle a gangway for those cameramen and then the the boxer to walk through so you've got all sorts of equipment at ringside you've got wires which many a time i've tripped over going to do ringside interviews afterwards because you're so frenetic so full of adrenaline you forget to look down at your feet and you see this spaghetti junction of, of wires <laughs> and cables and you forget and you you trip on your way to the ring apron but that's the kind of madness at ringside that again going back to what we were talking about right at the beginning you just don't get anywhere else in sport because you're not allowed that close to the action you alluded to it about the um, sound or the power punches. How can anyone really tell whether it's power or not? What do you pick up from that position with your ears? How much are you hearing little bits that we wouldn't hear at home or fans wouldn't hear at home? Again, one of the benefits, and you know, you might say it's sadistic, but one of the benefits of being that close at ringside is, is you see just what damage these shots are doing sometimes. And the brilliance of fighters to play the poker face when you know they're hurt and you see little tells like a, a great body shot lands beneath the rib cage and that the elbow just moves in very slightly almost imperceptibly so the fighter's not wanting to show that he's hurt to the body but the elbow will just move in and then he might take a shot to the chin and just take that half a step back again going back to the feet you, and, and you see those feet just move and they might not move as steadily as they did earlier in the fight sometimes what you hear is actually more accentuated than perhaps even the listener at home is hearing. And in the arena, I've made the mistake a couple of times in getting really frenetic in big fights and saying when there's a lot of action in the last sort of 20 seconds and they're going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I'll give one example where I remember getting it wrong, Carl Frotch against Mikhail Kessler. They're, they're I thought rematch. you were going to say Carl Frotch against George Groves then. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about it. Yeah, that was perfect. <laughs> one particular round when they, they were just basically toe-to-toe -to -toe for the last 20 seconds. And I said, you won't be able to hear the bell. And then, of course, on radio, you hear clang, clang, like Big Ben's just gone off, you know, because the engineer has made sure that the sound effects are so strong that, of course, you do hear the, the bell. But in the arena, you know, I was accurate. In the arena, you couldn't hear the bell because the crowd were so bonkers and so loud. But actually, on radio and on television, you could hear the bell because of the effects microphones above ringside. There's a question, George. Can you hear what Mike or what any other commentator is saying? Do you ever hear that? I have. I have before. And I was trying to think of what fight it was. It was probably a rubbish fight where I didn't sell a lot of tickets. You know? <laughs> and you can hear you can hear pretty much everything. Which fight is it where Mayweather turns to yeah, the commentator? Yeah, the Berto and... fight, I think. There were two of them, yeah. He, he um, fought a, a Puerto Rican guy, Henry Brussels, Brussels, something like that. And the, um, the HBO team were talking about American football. 
and um, <laughs> and Jim Lampley asked um, Roy Jones. I, I can't remember the team. I think it was the Steelers and the Patriots. And he said, "Who who you got tomorrow?" And and Floyd Mayweather said, "The Patriots." Just leaned down and said, "The Patriots." <laughs> he was he was you know on the right side of the ring for the commentary to hear that. But he, he did it again when um, he fought a guy called Goyo Vargas, and he switched to Southpaw. And Jim Lampley said, and Mayweather's just switched for the second time. And he leant down and he said, that's the third time. <laughs> <laughs> There's the genius. I mean, I could talk all night about Floyd Mayweather, but the joy of covering Floyd Mayweather and, and covering him before he became untouchable and, you know, not the greatest creature on the planet, to be honest, outside of the ring. But the first big fight I did in Las Vegas was Mayweather against De La Hoya. And I always say, in my, my experience as the BBC's athletics and boxing correspondents, I was lucky that when I took over in 2006, early 2006, it was just at the time when Mayweather and Usain Bolt were moving from very good athletes to superstars. And I caught both of them on the way up and, and, and a lot of their big nights. And that fight in May of 2007 between... De La Hoya and Mayweather was when Mayweather was just on the cusp. He just bought out his contract from Bob Arum. And yet the De La Hoya fight made him, turned him into a superstar because of how he built himself before the fight. And I remember going to one of his training sessions in fight week. And I promise you, there were only like 12 or 15 reporters there, you know. And then I went to the Manny Pacquiao workout in 2015 where there might have been three or 400 there. And, you know, completely different. But he was so humorous. He was so giving. And to watch him back then, that was the first time I'd seen the, you know, the pad sessions he used to do with Roger Mayweather. And I remember one of the British journalists turned to me and said, what's, what's the point of him doing all that? What's he, he's never going to use that in the ring. And I said, but this guy works on fluency and rhythm and having confidence. And I said, and that, that is all part of that. You know, Sebastian Coe didn't only run 800 meters in training. There's all different aspects of training that, that build into making of, of, of a champion. And it was just fascinating to be around Floyd Mayweather when he was, I wouldn't say just another fighter, but if you go back in time, look at contemporary reports from that time, then you, you will see he was just a good world champion. Um, who, and, and the, you know, just flickers of, of, of a feeling that he might be something more than that. He had to put in a lot of work to get that status. That's what I think people forget. It was uh, He had to beat the likes of... Um, Oscar De La Hoya and keep winning and keep fighting the big names. And later that year, Ricky Hatton, and because of all the Brits and the invasion and how big that became because of that whole status, then those two fights in 2007 were, were a massive turning point. See how he buys his contract out from Bob Arum. Bob Arum to this day admits that he got it wrong, didn't understand that black urban audience that Mayweather kept talking about, kept wanting to point towards, and, and Bob Arum couldn't see it, just could not see it. I, I have often wondered about Floyd Mayweather. He he clearly was the brains behind all that he's done and, and, and all the money that he's earned. And, and just what would he have done with with anything like regular schooling? With that business brain that was clearly ticking over, that clearly saw something that Bob Arum, you know, one of the greatest, maybe the greatest that's ever promoted, couldn't see. I just think it's, it's fascinating that, that Mayweather could see something he couldn't. And, and I, I just wonder what what if with Mayweather and and we got to interview his dad Floyd Senior was he getting on with his dad at the time he was yes and and his dad told the story about when he when he was a kid when when Floyd Junior was a kid and and Floyd Senior held him up in front of him to shield him from his brother-in-law who was about to shoot him and he turned to us and he said Floyd Senior said wouldn't you do the same and I've got <laughs> and I've and I've got a son and I just I just couldn't couldn't fathom what he was saying so he picked up floyd jr 
in front of him to stop his brother-in-law shooting him over a it was a row over a drugs deal that's the world that he grew up in and and, and yet still grew up in, in in the world of gangsters and and i've always said box like a concert pianist i mean just a remarkable transition you know the street smarts that he's got that you need to navigate your world in the wild west that is boxing the pitter-patter pad work that he does that serves a benefit but it's also it was fascinating when it first came out it inspired a generation of young kids and fighters and, and young coaches that now don't understand any of it but can do it because it, it looks kick-ass don't it it looks it looks the part <laughs> and you know he, he was obnoxious most of the time like very difficult to like but you had to appreciate him and then no one quite did it better and again he's inspired a load of arseholes now to try and do the same <laughs> and try and create themselves into a pay-per-view star without the boxing talent um just just the mouth but uh yeah you gotta you gotta appreciate was you there uh, mike for the pacquiao fight and mm. ringside seats were going for a quarter of a million was you was you thinking about selling your seat <laughs> <laughs> When you work in the media, there are all sorts of indications of how big a fight is. And, and there were two media centers. It's the only fight I've ever been to in Las Vegas where there were two media centers. So that tells you how big it was. And then everybody was waiting on the Friday to see whether they would get into the arena. Because it, was like, it was like results, exam results day, wasn't it? it? Was Everyone <laughs> refreshing their phones on the, in the club. like, come on, fuck. And you're looking online and these seats are going for like $250,000 and, and, and they're going. The day after, I was in the queue for merchandise and the guy behind me was just chatting casually away on his phone and saying, yeah, he paid 43000 bucks for a ticket and was smiling and laughing and, and loving the experience. But anyway, we, we get the right seat at 11 o'clock in the morning, but they tell us you can have only one seat. And we try and we try and we try. Can we just have one more seat for the engineer, please? So, no, no, no. So it was a situation where the engineer, an American called Ken Persley, went in to set everything up. He could go in while I waited outside. And then we swapped, literally came out, and then I went in. Then he would tell me on the phone exactly what I needed to do in terms of mixing the sound and sound oh, effects wow. and all this sort. Of. So I was I was playing engineer as well as commentator. And then we had the situation. Did you invoice of, him for that? <laughs> <laughs> and then again, in terms of commentary, you know, finding out at 11 o'clock on the day that you're actually doing commentary, the producer rang me at 11 o'clock in the morning and he said, Mike, you need to get your commentary head on. Where was you yeah, at the which time? Head, which head <laughs> was you <laughs> on? He was in the casino yeah. at MGM. Well, there's, that's Black a good point, George. You don't know how close I was to basically drowning my sorrows the <laughs> night before, having, having been told basically we haven't got the rights. You know, I mean, there's hardly any shortage of opportunity to go and do that in, in mm. Vegas. I remember I, I did actually have a drink and, and I just left it there and, and went back to the room and I just thought, we've come all this way for, for one of the greatest events I'll ever be part of and I'm not going to be anywhere near it. I, and, and frankly, at that time, I said I'd, I would rather have been at home. And then to wake up the next morning and to be told that, it just, you know, when I come off here, it's a sense of job done, although normally it's about 10 o'clock at night in Vegas, which is 6 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning in, in the UK. So the, there's still a night's work to be done, but the bulk of the work has been done, whereas for the likes of Deck and those working in the written media and websites, that's really when their work starts, you know? Although I just, again, the different ways of, of working at ringside, I think there's a, there's an interesting, and I think this is this is a big issue for for people who respect and take their information from reporters who sit at ringside and those reporters have got to be very careful about how much they do on fight night i've sat next to one i'm not going to name him but he you know we've, we've spoken about this but i've sat next to one where they were doing the live update 
and they were turning to me and saying, what was that, Mike? And I'd say, right, uppercut, double jab, whatever. Bang, bang, bang. What was that, Mike? Bang, bang, bang. Tap away, tap away, tap away. Very proud of how many people are, are watching their live updates online. Then at the end of the fight, they scribble this piece, 500-word piece on, on, on the fight. And on this particular occasion, I, I turned to him and said, are, are you happy with that? And what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, well, that's my report. That's, <laughs> it's not being grandiose. I don't mean it like that. What I mean is, if it was me, I want my opinion, my word. So if you come back at me and say, oh, you got that so wrong, Mike, then I could defend myself. And that is, is an issue. You don't often see the media because they're on the same side as, as the main camera for big fights. But every now and again, you do on American fights, you see the media. You have a look at how many of them are watching the fight. Mm. I'll tell you, time and time again, they're looking down. And this is going back to what I said about Hugh McIlvaney used to say, ringside is the hardest place to work because he wouldn't dare take his eye off the ring. And, and if there's been a particularly eventful round, you can't type all that or you can't scribble all that in the minute in between rounds. So you are still typing when the next round begins. And, and in really eventful fights, that means that you're going to miss an awful lot. That's, that's a serious flaw in, in the reporting of boxing at the moment. We've all got those, whether it's, you know, when we read about politics, culture, film reviews, if somebody's certain in the Times, if the guy in the Times likes a film, then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tempted towards it. They can be influential. That's the point I'm making. And they're having influence over something they haven't seen yeah. in some cases. Mm -hmm. Again, boxing's always an opinion, but sometimes it's portrayed as fact, isn't it? I know it's a question I've asked you before, Mike, but... Do you feel like you've watched the fight when you've had to go on that work mode where you're just feeding exactly what's happening as is happening for the for the viewers at home now on TV before on radio but even on radio it'd be even more intense where you're describing everything that's going on at the end of the round you go who won now? <laughs> I wasn't actually watching. I was just regurgitating what, what I was seeing. Yeah, you can only ever have an impression. And when you get home, you see a different fight. On radio, where you get the impression is the number of times you say a certain name. If you're saying Groves, 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 then that just subliminally tells you that George is winning that round because you mention it so often. I always used to say on radio, you can only ever give an impression and then I would wait for you or Steve Bunce or whoever to give a much firmer impression. Because when you're articulate, you're thinking of uh, you know words, phrases, you don't want to be too repetitive all the time. And on television, as I was saying earlier, there's a lot of traffic coming through in terms of instructions about where you might be going next. It's not always possible to be entirely concentrating on the fight in front of you and that, that will sound strange to a lot of people listening but that's the nature of it that's the nature of broadcasting talk back you're getting talk back here as we record this george you're you know being told to move on and you know you've just been told to talk about a break when whenever you're ready well speaking of our breaks I'll should just... we have a little breather <laughs> that's teed us up lovely okay and then after we've gone to drill a bit more into the role of you and the co-coms but also we george we've got the greatest feature i think the best feature we've ever done by country mile yeah all right well, excited let's, about do, that. Let's, let's have a quick break breather first can you ask Mike to cue us a quick break? Yeah, actually, Mike, you do it. You do it. You do the break. Imagine, actually, do you have to do our breaks on the, the zone? No, we just oh, literally shut up it. on the bell. So. Okay. Ding, ding. so I'll shut up. There you go. <laughs> hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so Mike, George has worked with you as a co-commentator. Countless fighters have. I hear that Lawrence Okoli did... <laughs> and he, he spent the time, not necessarily concentrating on the fight alone, because he was concentrating on his dinner as well. Can you paint us a picture? He, he did eventually, yeah. And he, he ordered a, a Thai takeaway, and we just assumed that that was... Legend. ...for when everything had finished. <laughs> but suddenly, <laughs> the fighters are coming out, and suddenly I'm hearing this <laughs> this lid being taken off, and the knife and fork being taken out, and, and uh, Lawrence Acoli's tucking into his dinner for the night, so... The mic picked that up, like yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> squelching sound effects. There's, yeah. us, there's usually um, this is like the, the danger zone for me because there's usually like bags of Harry Bows floating around. There'll be like chewy sweets, you know. Uh, maybe someone will be wise and bringing a chocolate. You mentioned about Mayweather Pacquiao. I remember the one thing I remember in that press room you talked about the tent one, which was less of a tent, more of a like palace beautifully air-conned and they had an omelette bar they had a, a, a row of maybe five or six chefs and you just queued up ordered any omelette you want and they had a bloke who was doing i got the picture still he's doing the coffee art and he was doing a little pac-man eating a dollar sign like that was how good he was at art so no expense spared in america is that have you experienced that some of the lunches are legendary oh. at those media centers where there's <laughs> there's a, a whole row of different dishes of cold dishes hot dishes and quite often in the um, the Copperfield Theatre when they have yeah. the big press conferences and, and at the back behind the first kind of group of seats leading down onto the stage it's a proper lunch it keeps you in shape I suppose if they don't get fed <laughs> yeah. so well all these shows coming up you don't want to be at the Caesars buffet every every other week for a show <laughs> I want to fit through the door at the bubbles though Mike I was sort of thinking about these the other week because I really enjoyed them yeah can you paint a picture of what they were like what that week entailed when we talk about the bubble the fights that happened behind closed doors that were put on by Eddie Hearn and the other promoters in Britain when nothing else was happening in the country yeah the vast majority of my experience was at the Wembley Arena and we stayed in the Hilton Hotel literally across the road and we'd arrive generally speaking on the Tuesday most of the media arrived on the Tuesday um, and you would turn up at an appointed time for a test and then you were taken by security personnel to your room and told to stay there until the following morning when you got the result of your tests, positive or negative. And in my case, luckily, every time I was okay. And so you'd be given at half eight the next morning or thereabouts, you'd be given a wristband, which allowed you the freedom of moving into particular areas in the hotel. And for example, in the Hilton Hotel, virtually everybody in the fight family, promoters, media, boxers, trainers, were staying on the sixth floor. And then all the media events were on the third floor. And so there were security personnel guarding the lifts on the sixth floor and you could only go down to the third floor. You couldn't go to any other floor <laughs> in the hotel. It was military position yeah. and it was brilliantly organized. So you'd come out of your room in the morning, you'd go down to the third floor where there was the breakfast room and then later the dinner room. And then there were various areas. There was a press conference area. There was a games room, which was absolutely brilliant. And so in, in a way you were imprisoned, but 
in that sense, it meant you could get closer to the boxers and the trainers than you ordinarily could. So much, and it worked so well that Matchroom do still very similar now that we're we're out of lockdown. The whole process worked so well for everybody. A whole day of doing interviews so that the, the boxers know that that's the day they're going to be hassled, if if that's the word, and then it's it's freedom for the rest of the week. There must have been fighters who were fighting each other queuing up for breakfast in the morning i mean it happens in hotels anyway be getting in and out the same lifts but it was much much more likely to happen there because you're only allowed on two floors and it was all very heavily guarded so yeah there was a lot of that it was i I know in particular josh warrington found it really difficult And, and he told me that on the friday night before he lost to lara and that's not him or me being clever after the event we were having dinner and he was telling me that this is the word he used. He just said, this is also plastic, Mike. He just by then, by Friday, he would have already felt the Leeds heat. Without wishing to put George on the spot, obviously, let's just assume you are the best of all. Yeah. Are there any former fighters that stand out have been very, very good at the COCOMs and you've got surprised you and you've gone, wow, that was great. I'll tell you who, for his first experience on radio, and I think sometimes boxers can be slightly more intimidated on radio because it's all words. It's non-stop. And Conor Ben came in to do one of the fights behind closed doors, and he was clearly quite nervous. He was really good. I mean, really very, very good. Very insightful and articulate. And they don't always go together. Sometimes you get one and not the other. And if I had a choice between those, I'd much rather insight than necessarily the the articulate way of saying it because i've used the phrase before but there's boxing parlance and and it and it works i just want to know why and how the fighters are winning or losing and and conan was really good that night and when we came off air we put the microphones down and literally had barely taken our headphones off and he said what do you reckon i can do to improve i keep thinking of that because he's made so much improvement in the ring maybe more in terms of like where he started to where he is now he might have made more improvement than any boxer i've covered tv can be a a slight tv is probably slightly harder for me i think it's a bit slightly different because sometimes you will come in throughout the round sometimes not so you're on guard for that you know the league con might just throw a question your way it can depend on the size of the fight the status of the fight, the magnitude of the fight as to how intimidating it can be. But it's interesting about talking about between rounds and every now and again, your time is reduced even more so because might go across to the corner. If, if a boxer's been knocked down, mm. then it's, it's quite useful to hear what the corner is saying. And I've actually been quite firm in my time at the zone that we stop talking in between rounds because listening to the corner can be such an important part of the broadcast. Can you remember the first knockout that happened, you know, in front of you where maybe someone just got hit with a big shot and hit the deck? In the early stages of my commentary, I commentated on a fight between Audley Harrison and Michael Sprott at Wembley Arena. And Michael Sprott won in the third round. And again, it was one of these instances where Audley Harrison fell very close to where we were. And we spoke earlier about the legs. Now, this time he was flat on the canvas and his legs were twitching. Mm. And, and we could see that really close up. And what was really disturbing about that was the crowd were cheering. They were really so happy that he was down. They were so happy that the legs were twitching. And that's where, look, we all at times, I think, have ambivalence about boxing. But that's where it becomes borderline barbaric. We spoke right at the beginning about the eyeline of a commentator and, you know, you're, you're just above the canvas and you see the the shins and the calves and in this case him 
lying flat on his back and and the legs twitching and they're they're difficult i mean just recently i had this fight between lee wood and, and michael conlon and michael conlon at the end of the fight fell out of the ring mm. on the opposite side of the ring to us and there was this horrible haunting atmosphere at ringside we didn't know what had happened we didn't know if he'd banged his head we knew he was badly hurt and we could just see by the faces of the people on the far side of the ring what had happened we had no access at ringside to anything other than what the viewers were seeing on screen and i now know there was a debate among the production and management teams as to what we should show and the decision was made not to show replays so we couldn't see him he'd fallen out of the ring on the far side of the ring from where we were and we didn't know what was happening and to be absolutely frank we didn't know if he was alive or dead that was a hard hard night one that springs to mind is David Price against Alexander Povetkin. I don't know if you worked that one. David Price, someone we all got close to over covering him, and you know you do bond and make relationship with these people. And then he obviously got badly knocked out by Povetkin, and the silence in there. How hard is it for you working that close to it and working closely with these guys to separate yourself from that and still deliver your product, still do your job? I think it's impossible because you get close to, when I say close, I mean, you get close in the in the professional sense, in what you get from interviews. We, we spend more time around boxers, um, whether it's a fight camp, but even outside a fight camp, than most reporters, journalists, commentators do in any other sport. We couldn't get anywhere near the likes of George on a regular basis in football. You couldn't spend anything like as much time. Plus, they're, they're so giving. In most cases, they're so giving of their time. You know, I had a great night when George won, won his title. That was a bit of thanks for all you've given me. Were you aware of that, that you had this good relationship with the press and with people like Mike? Yeah, no, I, tr- I tried to, mm. tried to develop it. and then, But I wouldn't expect anything in return. Do you know what I mean, I wouldn't expect, like, uh, I remember it was the Sky commentators and I'm getting along with all of the Sky commentators and then I'm fighting James DeGale and then they go, and what's your opinion Sky commentator, and I thought, oh, he's my sit, mate. He'll half sit on the fence here. Oh, I think DeGale by knockout. I was like, oh, he's added the knockout. <laughs> I was like, oh, that really hurt. Oh, oh. I thought we were friends. So, but at the same time, like, yeah, you want to you deliver some good content because you want to get it in the papers. You know what I mean? So you don't want to keep giving the same answer. Let's try and give the same answer in as many different ways as possible. But also, sometimes you're trying to play off against your opponent. So you might we're saying something that you know it's going to get in the paper because you know it's going to wind him up. I remember you told us that on the the pre-fight presser for Eubank Jr., the line was, I would have beaten his dad as well. And that was great. (laughs) Perfect. Winds up Chris (laughs) Jr., winds up senior and gets in the paper. Yeah. Perfect. I would have. Your money is in your voice, obviously. How do you guard against that? And is it perilous? Can you have a busy week in Vegas with that aircon and all that? all the beers, I dare say, and then you get to fight night and you're like, oh my God, this voice is not the same as what people are going to expect. One of my key habits during fight week is nowhere on a Friday. Even a nice restaurant can have a, a bit of light music in the background and it means that, look, we're sat around a table here. If, if we're having dinner and there's a bit of music in the background, then you're having to almost shout. And if that's over a dinner lasting two and three hours, then you know that can wear the voice out for the next night. I've come off air more than once with the voice is, is just about to go. I've been with you, Mike, when you're on the radio, and I don't think you can do it for TV if you're ringside, but you're standing up, you're out of your chair, you've turned the volume up on your headphones to make the crowd sound more intense than they actually are, so you're almost projecting that 
louder voice through the radio and it's this fight might be a stinker (laughs) (laughs) god awful but everyone no one at home listening on the radio knows this is what this is the most intense fight i've ever heard listen to mike i remember the first time i worked with um richie woodall normally speaking the engineer sets it up so that you have separate connections for your headphones and your microphone but on this particular occasion me and Richie were were plumbed into the same headphone box and I had the effects as you say turned up to absolutely 11 plus and and Richie puts his headphones on and I start talking and he threw the headphones down like that he got the shock of his life and he went fucking hell my life didn't have to be that loud <laughs> he's got that relaxed Midlands accent at the time, like... <laughs> I'm sure you're aware of this that broadcasters get accused of being biased home fighters particularly obviously in the uk and and they have a uk fighter and it's a uk broadcaster everyone really needs that fighter to win how aware of of that are you and how hard is it to not be that and to not fall into that biased trap right at the beginning i did say i'm not into cheerleading i completely understand that there's a, a business process here and and that you can't be calling every fight a stinker in most cases even if the fight is entirely tedious then it's not always through lack of effort. It's just mm. a horrible clash of styles. It's time, George. Mike, are you, you up took for a this? deep breath there, George. Yeah, what's, did, going yeah. well, what's going on? It, it's my yeah. feature, and um, you're the greatest, isn't you? You're the goat of commentary. <laughs> so I've come up with this feature today. We believe you can commentate on absolutely anything, right? <laughs> and you're not allowed to invoice after this, yeah. by the way. <laughs> this is free work. But it's also it's open mic night today. <laughs> We've got a joke battle between me and Deck Lumin. Can we just say it's dad jokes? So these are not supposed to be funny. But they, mine, they are are hilarious. Hilarious. mine are hilarious. Mine are really good. So we're going to go, you go, I go, joke. You need to commentate on the jokes as you see them coming. I mean, you spoke sometimes as a stinker. The same here. If, if they're all stinkers, you don't have to. <laughs> but if I inflict a vicious body blow on deck, I expect it called, yeah? Are you up for the challenge? You also, Mike, you're not allowed to laugh either, which might be hard. Not allowed to laugh at any of these jokes. I'll tell you what you need, though, George. We need a jingle. Right, cue the jingle. Open mic night. Oh my God, some of these are terrible. Right? No, I'm going first. Go on then. I asked my trainer at the gym if I could start shadow boxing. He said, knock yourself out. I wanted to say a joke about boxing, but I forgot the punchline. This is turning into one of the most drab contests I've ever been ringside for. <laughs> I'm allowed to laugh at Mike's comms. Right. <laughs> Why don't boxers have sex before fights? They don't fancy each other. Bare knuckle boxing doesn't sound so manly when you refer to it as topless fisting. I think the referee should be stepping in here at some stage. What is the main problem with elephants boxing? They have the same colour trunks. Did you hear the one about the hobbit who ruined the boxing? He tried to destroy the ring. No, that's terrible. That is fucking terrible. Can we call the ringside doctor here to save the audience from further trouble? (laughs) Mr. T was asked for his comments before his celebrity boxing match with Dave Grohl. He responded, I pity the foo. Wow. (laughs) The build-up promised so much, didn't (laughs) it? I got a pair of boxing gloves today. They're both lefts, which on one hand is great, but on the other, it's just not right. Where's the referee when you need him? (laughs) Step in. I didn't think orthopedic boxing boots would help, but I stand corrected. The man who invented Velcro strap boxing gloves has died. RIP. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. Uh, What do you reckon, Mike? 
I thought the show started really well. Yeah. <laughs> what's, he been, what's he been reduced to? I have a few jokes about unemployed retired boxers. Go on. But none of them work. That's you. But a boom. Done. That's We're out. Where's, where's that jingle? <laughs> yeah, redo the jingle. Right, let's do a new feature. <laughs> Open mic night. what we do need to talk about? Definitely something I don't know enough about, Mike, so please elaborate. Your amateur boxing days, you did nearly 20 years as a fighter and a coach. Mostly as a failed boxer, but enough to, as I said earlier to you, give me that, that real buzz at ringside of wanting to be what you became. I boxed amateur for about 10 and a half years, mostly as a junior, probably about 60, 65 bouts, maybe 40 of those as a junior. The only name that anybody would recognize that I boxed was Jim McDonnell. We boxed um, in the very early stages of our senior career. He beat me on points. About six months earlier, my club asked his club for the match and they said, no, Costello is too good for him. Six months on, we boxed and he beat me convincingly. He kindly says it was close. He beat me convincingly and he beat me on strength and fitness, determination, desire. I've taken that with me ever since. Jim woke me up to just what men could do as opposed to the boys that I had been boxing. But then I I, I turned to um, coaching at the Lynn Club in South East London. And over the space of around six to eight years, there was a remarkable flow of different personalities through the gym that have gone on to do different things. And I always say that that somehow has backed up what I try to bring to what I do now. Not that all of those were what they became back then, but the likes of Mickey Campwell was there, boxed three times for for world titles down in the lighter weights. Mick Hennessy, promoter, was there. Adam Booth was there. Danny Williams was at that club. I mean, that was a really special night, just again, a tangent, really special night. I was in Louisville, Kentucky, when Danny Williams beat Mike Tyson. Derek Angle fought for a world cruiserweight title. Henry Akinwandi, who who I coached, went to the Olympics in 1988 and then won the WBO title, beaten by Lennox Lewis. We traveled around the country with him, used to do overnight shifts in McDonald's and then come to the (laughs) gym before he went to McDonald's. I mean, proper true blue amateurs um he fought at the seoul olympics in 1988 so this wide range of people who came through the club just this tiny little outpost in southeast london across that spell of six to eight years it all went on in their different areas in the sport to make an impact in different ways it's it's absolutely fascinating when i look back but the most important thing that that club did you know was around the kids i've got a piece that the um, times did in february of 1988 it's a big half page spread they talk about this outpost in the wilderness and they spoke to the local education authority at the time and they said that our club was housed in the most criminally infested square mile in Europe um, where the wow. club was. You know, that phrase that you hear, you, you, you've you seen it with, you know, Mick Delaney and Dale Youth and others. They do so much for an area and yet that club now, and I'm sure it's the same in many others, are struggling to pay their electricity bills, their heating bills and if only that the councils would understand what they're doing, what they're saving, you know, in terms of kids, but also in terms of money in, in future in dealing with these kids if they're not railroaded in a certain way. But those experiences underpin all that I'm doing now. Never lost the love for boxing. But if you gave me a choice, uh, you know, the reason I walked away from coaching is because I was becoming more successful at the BBC. What were your BBC bosses thinking when... They saw the guy who was working as a runner or whatever on the BBC in the ring at the ABA's finals in the ring. That was massive for me, massive, because they then got me writing reports for the other 
guys in the sports room to broadcast. And so the editor came to me and said, look, all of this work, you know, other people are getting the benefits. So why don't you go and take some voice lessons to help you one day broadcast? And I've always valued the need for voice lessons. I did it very late on. I did it again. I went for more voice lessons in 2011, the year before the Olympics in 2012, because I knew the Olympics would be really massive for me in terms of like making a, a memory going down in the BBC's archives. And I wanted to get it absolutely right for 2012 and so I went to a, a voice coach in 2011 to prepare for that and she'd noticed that there was certain times when I'd squeal towards the end of a sentence when it got really mad and really loud at certain events that was my if you like that was my world title fight even though I'd done loads of boxing loads of athletics before the Olympics in my hometown you know w was going to be much bigger than anything I knew that even a year out and so that's why I wanted to be as good as I could possibly be even though back then 2011 I was very experienced something was nagging there was more I needed more you know like Conor Ben <laughs> <laughs> I think before we let Mike go we got to see what he wants to put in the cliche bin as a commentator you must have some hated cliches what's your least favorite and by the way if any broadcaster says anything that goes in the cliche bin they owe george a fiver <laughs> and that is legally binding <laughs> so they owe you a fiver so whatever you say here mike it's banned now for the rest of british broadcasting history yeah it's, it's not exclusive to boxing but it's reporting and commentary it remains to be seen <sighs> well it remains to be seen whether anyone's going to pay their five quid subs all fine if they start saying that thanks mike thanks so much for coming in Been for joy, sharing guys. your story and really insightful stuff it was fascinating to listen to. what a journey 44 years is that what he says at the bottom of that script there yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, so it's, tell mike that was fascinating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i just had the talk nothing, get rid of him get nothing, rid of him. <laughs> nothing gets past yeah, mike. had enough of this bloke now <laughs> no, i thought thanks. you'd finish this this episode for us mike <laughs> yeah you know what he does he jingle does, yeah jingle. where's that jingle <laughs> where's the bell and then utter silence yeah. <laughs> ding ding I think it's going to do well with time deck at uh, that feature. <laughs> I think that if the jokes improve, we'd be all right. Yeah. If that hasn't persuaded you to subscribe, I don't know what will. Open mic night. Open mic it's night. It's genius, and I think it will age well. I'm encouraging all members of this club to send in better jokes, and it's not hard. I say it's a very inclusive club. And if that feature has turned you totally off our show and you want another podcast to listen to, try Death of a Sports Star. There are episodes about Shane Warne, Kobe Bryant, Diego Maradona, but the story about Sonny Liston is one of their best. Definitely worth a listen. Just search for Death of a Sports Star in your podcast app now. We are back next Wednesday, as always. Who have we got next week? We've got an episode all about contracts with one of your favourite people in the world, Neil Sibley. My, one of my favourite people in the world, Neil Sibley. He's a, a formidable solicitor who's going to come in and explain the intricate world of contracts, which me as a seasoned fighter still, I'm sure, will learn a lot. See you next week. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.